Good evening, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland Pacific Northwest of the USA. Today is Christmas, the 25th of December, and the year is 2020. Today I'm going to talk about a concept that I've been generating on neurocorrelation. This will be a theoretical essay and so it will involve a fair amount of philosophy as well as scientific principles. The relatively new subdiscipline called neuroscience has spent at least the last 50 years attempting to find neural correlations to mentation states, including free will, emotion, and core value systems. Research has included animal and human studies where the former has utilized separation stress, ablative neurosurgery, homologous recombinatorial knockout mutations, and pharmacology to create induction models of addiction, care, altruism, and even pair bonding. Human studies classically examine brain lesions, changes in serum hormone levels and other metabolites, and later on electrode implantation, stimulation of those electrodes, use of hallucinogens, and a host of scanning techniques to isolate neuronal loci and membrane receptors that become modulated, often by following something simple like labeled glucose uptake, upon arousal, deprivation, and reward of variable valence and duration. So neuroscience examined human virtues at the biopsychological level, and such emotions as love, hate, and anger have been studied. <clears throat> These experiments are designed to test hypothetical deductions based on the assumption there are neural correlates to all human thought and behavior. This, in spite of typical human experience, where, for example, love seems to arise either spontaneously or via familial association from a unique individual to another, one bond at a time. So human neuroscientific research seeks to uncover patterns of commonality and uniformity to help define mechanisms which reliably result in the experience of thinking and interacting with the world. The scientific mindset is in opposition in some ways, as is a lot of science, to real life experience where human bonding is unique to a specific relationship. This may be best understood as a compatibilist approach, where neuroscience may affirm the very real experience of an individual when he makes a judgment or chooses to imagine his next move, while the neurocircuitry is providing the means to have that experience without an agentic causal connection. Now, this view, as stated, is not a contradiction, since it doesn't assert there is no experience of free will or directed emotion or thought, but rather that it is simply coincidental to the neurophysiology and the grounding provided by the networking, the, particularly the neurobiochemical networking. Okay. So in my view, there is an alternative to this theory. It's based on the principle of first causes the core of any neuroscience, there must be a discussion of human will. Does man have free choice of his own will 
or is he predetermined? By way of the mechanisms of the evolutionarily received central nervous system. Now, in order to answer that question, a careful logical analysis must precede even experimental design. Neurobiochemistry and anatomy have progressed sufficiently as a science to make predictions of, I would call, simplistic behavioral output. Much of this work comes from rodent and sometimes uh, primate models of addiction to a wide variety of substances, including things like sucrose, but also cocaine, opiates, ethanol, and methamphetamine. Now, derivative of all that neuroscientific literature is the imaging of the human central nervous system, which tries to map specific brain regions and subcortical nuclei to variously ascribed circuits and neuronal and microglial neuronal tracts that have been attributed to specific behavioral patterns registered upon electrochemical or pharmacological stimulation in the animal model systems. Now, besides addiction, imaging techniques have also begun to explore the seemingly limitless range of human emotions, higher cognitive functions, and the readout for self, personality, decision-making, and even attempts to seek out and refute often free will. The reward and pleasure system that has been used to study some of this work includes a dopaminergic circuit that is connected between the ventral tegmental area, or VTA, and the nucleus accumbens, the NA. The VTA is located in the midbrain, directly proximal to the brain stem, and it's considered a vestigial evolutionary relic of earlier, perhaps more primitive brain structures. VTAs were dopamine is synthesized from the amino acid L-tyrosine. The dopamine produced by the VTA is sent to the NA via the axons, which link the two via, of course, synaptic cleft. The prefrontal cortex is linked to that circuit, and it provides the executive decision-making control over the pleasure-reward pathway. Now, this is all canonical neuroscience. Okay? So this neural circuit is regionally connected via a group of neurons called the medial, four, medial forebrain bundle, or the MFB. So this MFB is also connected to the hypothalamus and the amygdala, and those have been designated as sources of basic fear and anger responses, as well as, of course, the hypothalamus being associated with hormonal regulation of the entire system. So, for example, serotonin serves to inhibit the desire-generating dopaminergic pathway. Indeed, serotonin therefore seems to generate satiety to balance all these responses from the VTA to the NA as overridden and controlled by the PFC through the MFB, you see. So the working hypothesis is that the NA activates the motor cortex and the PFC controls the response via attentional direction and duration. Recall that the measurements being made here, okay, involve the use of embedded electrodes and chemical tracers, and the readout is usually an increase in the spike of a membrane potential across a region after hypopolarization to generate a preformed ionic gradient. This data substitutes for authentic cognitive free choice of the will in animal models, while in human studies, we rely on electrochemical data plus, of course, self-reporting. 
This evidence, and I'll put that word in quotation marks, is then used to formulate conclusions, including that both the reasoning and emotional systems play a role in the reward pathway. This reward system is a matter of tremendous interest, of course, from two fields in neuropsychology. The first is anatomical and functional evolution of the brain, and the latter is drug addiction. Recreational drugs all impact the reward pleasure system in some way through various biochemical mechanisms involving synthesis, pre- and postsynaptic cleft transport, reception, and degradation, ultimately, of the neurotransmitters. It is believed that the reward system evolved through a function of self-preservation. An example would be the following. You do something, it is pleasurable, so you repeat the behavior. In evolutionary biological adaptation literature, this would involve such things as mate selection, mating itself, protection from predation, and the rearing of the young, and indeed long-term relational ties. Fortunately, the recreational drugs hype and hijack that pathway and eventually bring such a strong response of pleasure that the natural behaviors become mass or altogether unrecognized. In essence, this is the reason why people may become addicted to a drug, tend to lose interest in their family. At the subcellular level, constant agonizing of drug liganded membrane receptors cause their endocytosis and proteolytic degradation, thus decreasing the strength of the dosing during conditioning. Therefore, this is believed to be obtain what we call drug tolerance. Psychologists suggest that this chronic drug ingestion depresses the normal natural stimuli and thus addicts lose interest in what used to naturally bring them joy. So that seems to be a good way of reasoning through this circuitry, right? So with, following that, the neuropsychologists and the psychologists, so people who study uh, the psychology in humans would say that love becomes lost. You could perhaps see the correlation to other forms of addiction as in greed, lust, and power over others, all of which tend to generate a sense of well-being, albeit without virtue, by intensifying this reward circuit. So from this kind of research, reductionists claim that classical Christian virtues, such as faith, hope, and charity, are nothing more than a complex higher-order brain function, which shapes our interpersonal and social behavior. The extrapolation of classical Greek virtues of things like courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom are grouped here as well. In terms of free will, the reductionists will often claim that this is nothing more than self-fulfilling, albeit deceptive, reward to promote the idea, to promote the idea, that is, of personal agency. Now, I see the obvious problem with all of this reduction is that it refutes the classical altruism scheme, so prominently discussed in the animal models. What would be the evolutionary selection pressure value if this was all illusion? So, I've argued that free will and virtue are elements of the a priori mental state and that direct volition from the individual is the cause of the changes in, for example, electrochemical potential and that the agency and the, the agency of the individual occurs with it and prior to it. So to summarize this 
philosophical connection to this neuroscientific analysis, the idea of free will and the virtues is that they are both a condition necessary for human experience and that they are constitutively universal upon central nervous system development. I understand free will then and virtue as being disabused from a burdensome materialist contingency. Virtue is a function and an operator of free will, which has no neural circuitry, since its existence is not predicated on random integration of electrochemical gradients, nor it is a predetermined result of the structure-function relationship from genetic predisposition. Free will, I suggest, is the means of possibility to deliver unique opportunity into the world, decided de novo by individual choice. The CNS is the biochemical pattern recognition receptor grid, and the stimulus is the fully activated neuronal electrochemical gradient engaged by the bioenergetically driven activity of thought from the ultimate individual will. These molecular events throttle the electrochemical poise to follow the directive imposed upon by the will. This recombinatorially induced fit mechanism is also how the acquired immune system functions in defense and in other literature I've written and in sculpting the developing central nervous system. So the statement could simply be, I choose and the system follows. So the human mind operates by the freedom of the will to represent its choices. Yes, there is a complete biochemical, genetic, and physio physiological grid and an epigenetic writing, reading, and erasing mechanism raised agentically on that palate via immune system activity where the individual free will decides and acts while the systems follow the directive via a networked assemblages of pathways, cascades, alternative transcription, splicing, translation, post-translational modifications, and indeed, finally, cellular turnover. Virtue-driven free will, paralogistically described as an emergent property of a neurological circuit, which reports to and is informed by both reason and experience, therefore does not stand in my view. Free will is beyond those physiological or even philosophical perspectives as it procures no advantage to the individual other than the virtuous operation of doing good because neurotransmission is not a moral code. Therefore, free choice of the will is an a priori agency which has no neural correlate since it transcends neurobiochemistry by its lack of substance and indeed event ontology. For human agency to fulfill the requirement of event ontology, all that is necessary is a sequence of temporality. And indeed, time is a property of the mind. Hence, all cognitive living is becoming and eventual in nature. Plato wrote that there is a form of wisdom and a form of justice and a form of courage and so on that existed outside the world of phenomena. These forms were the perfected example of each and every concept 
and from which all worldly forms were a mere substitution. Imperfect surrogates of the celestial forms subject to decay and death as they involve material substance. I hold that freely willed virtue, becoming toward to good, which is what I call virtue, is indeed an agentically chosen synthesis of space and time. It is neither innate nor is it an imperfect replica of some celestial form. The will of each individual through the reasoned experience of the world and via the senses fulfills the function of bridging the noumena, which is the event in itself, and the phenomena, the event for me. The individual acquires its ownership of becoming toward death by summoning the courage, therefore, to seek wisdom of the good. The motivation of the will is to become better, knowing that the time to become has a death limit. The good is recognized while moving from the noumenal to the phenomenal in one's moral code as populated by the classical and Christian virtues. The neurotransmission that is involved in this motivation doesn't cause it, the individual wills it, and the biochemical phenomena that follows is simply the physical means to carry out the decision. There is no neurocorrelate to free will or the virtues with which the individual compels his choices. Vain attempts to associate the thoroughly conceptualized reward pathway I briefly went through with virtue by using primate or rodent research studies, in my opinion, have no scientific residence beyond the forced addiction methods and hand-waving of circuit piracy that fall to the ground as the gravity of free choice could require. When individuals choose to become alcoholics and drug addicts, for example, their success in freeing themselves from these addictions is not because often the pharmaceutical or psychotherapy, which almost uniformly fail, Individuals defeat their addictions by the freeing of their own will to choose to become better. And the motivation is to seek the good. In this way, research into addiction does not support neurocorrelations to a reward pathway, which proceeds based on experiments that initiate addiction, addiction via positive reinforcement and withdrawal using negative reinforcement. They answer the questions they pose by producing data co-created by the hypothesis. Indeed, it is a form of hypostasizing rather than hypothetical deduction. So this type of research that is purposely designed to debunk free will is itself a product of freely choosing experimental designs by a manifestation of the very principle the researchers wish to refute their free will. This research is developed by those who use their free will to deny it. This corruption of evidence does not convince, therefore cannot obtain. So I conclude the argument is neither valid or sound. Neuroscience does offer a great deal of strong empirical research involving the chemical dependency of addiction, how brain lesions and neurodegeneration play specific roles in inflammatory conditioning of chromatin remodeling pathways, Trauma, disease, and aging-associated CNS pathobiochemistry may lead to alterations in transcription factor expression in neurons and in glia, thus either promotion of, for example, senescence-associated DNA repair, induction and maintenance via epigenetic alteration of neurotransmitter, 
and bioenergetic pathway gene expression, or even the valency of cell fate. Where these biochemical systems impact genetic, physiological, and behavioral sequelae in humans in a uniform way is indeed the critical question that's often well answered in the discipline. I conclude that we will continue to interrogate the biochemistry and physiology of the CNS with improvements in epigenetics, signal transduction, immunological framing, and cell biology using selection and screening techniques that will focus and clarify the role of those phenomena in critical aspects of the human mind. I discover from working and sometimes contributing to the field and by developing my knowledge base on the role of the immune system in the CNS in particular, that the field has come a long way. However, by a dialectical analysis that includes extensive neuroscience research, basic biochemistry and physiology, as apprehended by empiricism, epistemology and logical metaphysics, a clearer picture may still emerge. From first principles of causation, I find that free will and human virtues are neither learned nor innate, but rather operate via an autonomous a priori synthesis as directed by the agency of individual choice. In my view, the CNS responds subsequent to free will. Now, to the question of the means of the free will, I point to that which is beyond the scope of scientific examination, the noumena. So I hope you enjoyed this essay. Again, it's a, it's a, a theory essay, so it's not meant to be science. It's meant to be a way of formulating ideas about how to do experiments to use science to get at these very interesting problems. So I'm not going to continue on uh, any further today. I think that that narrative is sufficient um, for you to maybe digest and maybe enjoy over this Christmas evening. So I'm going to leave you with that. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from the Authentic Biochemistry Studios on this beautiful Christmas night saying bye for now. <laughs>